Okay, I'm still not 100%. Uh, I feel like I could fall over every once in a while. So if I do fall over, just dismiss and go home. Okay? Uh, for some reason, I still have very little strength. Um, so pray for me as we look at uh, this beautiful text here in John 17. I wanted to ask you as we begin tonight, at what time in your life did you feel the most secure? Um, absolute, total, complete, perfect security. I guess I could ask you, have you ever felt that kind of security? I mean, I, I think the first thought that comes to my mind, I don't know about you, is maybe curled up in my mom's lap as a very young boy. I don't know if any mental images come into your mind, but I wanted to ask you about that tonight as we look at this text. Insecurity is a major psychological and emotional problem. I mean, you guys know this. Um, in the world today. We know that, that insuring man's insecurities is a multi-billion dollar industry. And trying to fix man in his insecurities is another multi-billion dollar industry. People make a lot of money on selling the illusion of security. Men long to be, be secure, but there is no security in this world. I think most of you, if not all of you, know that. Um, Loved ones die, spouses leave, health fails, jobs are lost, investments go bad, and governments are corrupt. Men seek for it, but it's not to be found. There is no security to be found on this planet. And we seek for it, though, like it's kind of a visceral need. It's almost like a... A, a, a lost memory once that we were secure and God made us secure in the beginning right we were secure in the garden and then we declared our independence from him and we all feel very weak and very fragile very temporal and very exposed and that's what happened when we declared our independence from God each man but David David found an immovable, unchanging, permanent rock to stand on. And that was the text I began with this morning. Psalm 18, 1 and 2. David says, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. Now, Jesus is hours from the cross, and He's praying in John 17. He's praying audibly, and He wants His guys to know this is all true about Him. Because their world is about to come crashing down around them. All that they thought was secure appears to be gone because their Lord and Savior is gone. He's been taken from them. And Jesus Christ wants them to know that He's still the rock. And He's going to pray for them. And He's going to ask the Father to keep them as He had kept them while He was here on the earth. And so He wants these 11 guys to understand where their true security, even the face of what appeared to be ultimate disaster, Jesus Christ wants them to know He is their rock. God is their rock. This is what one of the things Jesus is conveying to these men and He's conveying to us. Brothers and sisters, our security is not in our health. It's not in our family. 
It's not in our career, it's not in our money, and it's not in our insurance policies. If we have any security at all, it's in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is our strength, David says. He is our rock. He is our fortress. Our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our deliverer. He's all we need. He's all we need. Our security is Jehovah God. No one less than that. The Christian security is Jehovah God, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus will be nailed to a cross within hours and He wants, he wants us to be ringing in His men's ears that He has prayed for them and that He has asked the Father to keep them in His name. Now, we talked a lot about two weeks ago when we were back in John 17, uh, 6, and I parked on that verse two weeks ago, and we talked a lot about what Jesus is saying when He says it nine times in the Gospel of John that the redeemed are a gift from the Father to the Son. And we talked a lot about that. What is, what is Jesus saying when He says that the redeemed are a gift from the Father to the Son? The Son. Again, we talked a lot about that last time. And what Jesus has said, what he has said over in John 6:39, he says, All that the Father gives me what? What does he say? All that the Father has given me what? I will not lose one. Jesus wants them to hear this. He wants this echo to be in their head. He's not going to lose one. He's not going to lose one. And there may be an infinite number of reasons in the infinite mind of God while He'll not lose one, but He's not going to lose one because we are love gifts from the Father to the Son. And I want to challenge you, if you haven't thought about this yet, I want to challenge you to think about this. I want to challenge you to meditate on this. I want to challenge you to pray about this to where you have some understanding of what Jesus is saying here. We are a love gift from the Father to the Son. And brothers and sisters, that's supposed to thrill your soul. It's supposed to thrill your soul that that's what we are. And there's a primary frustration in my line of work, and I've shared it with you before. And as I'm in John 17, I feel it keenly that no matter how hard I try, human language can't get there. I can't do justice to the text. I can't even get close. I can't even get close to getting close. I need those, those words that Paul talks about when he was caught up in the third heaven. What did Paul say? He talks about, he said, I heard what? Inexpressible words, words that men are not permitted to speak. And I got to tell you, when I, when I get into John 17, I feel, like, I feel like I need those words that Paul's talking about. I need some words that I'm not permitted to speak as a man because this is so beautiful. This is so lofty. This is a fathomless ocean of beautiful theology that we're exposed to here in John 17. We are a love gift from the Father to the Son. And that is the divine side of human salvation. That's part of what God is, is doing in the divine side of human salvation. We talked about two weeks ago that when, when the Bible speaks of salvation, it's, uh, the salvation of men, it's saying two things clearly. That God is foreknowing, God is choosing, God is electing, God is calling, God is drawing, God is predestining His people. We talked a lot about that uh, two weeks ago. But the other thing that we're going to emphasize tonight is the other truth that the Bible 
lays out just as equally clearly that men are responsible to repent and believe. The, the, the gospel is an open call to repent and believe. And all men everywhere are responsible to repent and believe. This is the gospel. To repent, to believe, to come, to receive, and to obey. And we're going to catch a glimpse of that tonight as we finish off verse 6 and as we go further down into uh, some of the other verses. Look here at the very, the very beginning of verse 6. I, and I didn't touch this last time we were in verse 6, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou hast given me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I have revealed you to these men. I have revealed the true God. Basically, uh, Jesus is saying, I have shown them what you look like. I have shown them that you are the true God. This is the true God. You are the true God. We know what Jesus said over in John um, if I can find the verse, I don't remember. But you remember what Jesus told Thomas, if you have seen me, what? You have seen the Father. Jesus said, I have manifested the true living God to these men. Remember what Hebrews 1.3 says? Uh, that Christ is an exact representation of His nature. And you may recall, way back when we began John, over in John 1, Jesus, John says that Jesus explained God. Jesus explained God. So that's what Jesus is saying here in John 6. I have explained you to these men and to the world. And so what have we seen? What have we seen in the Gospel of John? Jesus has made it plain that He is the Son of God. He is the Son of the living God. What have we seen all the way through John? We have seen this, this, uh, this theme all the way through the book. Some believe most reject. Some believe and most reject. That has been the undercurrent in the Gospel of John. And as we've talked about so many times as we've made our way through this Gospel, it's not that men don't understand, it's that men do understand. Do you understand that? Do you understand that when you're out sharing the Gospel? Do you understand that it's not that they don't understand, it's that they do? That'll help you in your evangelism. If you, if you understand that Romans chapter 1 clearly tells us that all men everywhere understand that God is there. All men everywhere know this. God has, has put it in us. He's, he's wired us in such a way that we know He's there. We know He's there. And so when men decline to come to Christ, it's not because they don't understand, it's because they do understand and they will have no God over them. This is what David is saying in the Psalms 14 and Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. You remember when David writes twice, uh, he writes that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The literal meaning of the Hebrew is, no God, I'll have no God. And this is what the fool has said in his heart. He's not saying, he's not saying that uh, you know, he, he doesn't understand. He's saying, I'll have none of it. I won't have this God ruling over me. I have declared my independence and I will have no God over me. And when men reject Jesus Christ, that is what they're rejecting. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting God. And it's not that they don't understand. It's that they do. They understand exactly what you're saying to them. They understand exactly what you're saying to them. And they'll have no God over them. Jesus is expressing this truth 
in some small way over in Matthew 7, 13, 14. You know the text. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by that gate. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. But look what Jesus says about his 11 guys. What does he say? I manifested the, uh, thy name to them. And what happened? Look at the end of verse 6. What did they do? They kept thy word. Did you see it? Verse 7, they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee. Verse 8, for the words which thou hast given me, I have given to them. And what did they do with them? They received them and truly understood that I came forth from thee and they believed that thou didst send me. This is the hallmark of all true Christians. They receive the Word of God, and they keep the Word of God. You remember we talked about John 6 a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about how the false disciples left Jesus because of His words. They understood exactly what He was saying. They just weren't going to have any of it. And you remember the false disciples left Him. But you remember the real disciples. Peter says, we will stay with you. Where will we go? For you have the words of life. Peter says, you have the words of life. So in contrast to the fool who says, I'll have no God over me, the Christian says, hey, I'll have Jesus Christ. I'll have Jesus Christ. I believe. I, I have received His Word and I have kept His Word and I have come to know that He is the true God. He is from God. So the Christian doesn't say, I'll have no God. He says, I've glimpsed this beautiful God and I'll have Him. In fact, I'll run to Him. In fact, I'll serve Him. In fact, I'll die for Him. He's my God and He saved me and I love Him. That is the hallmark of a true Christian. We have received His words. We have loved His words. And we attempt albeit imperfectly, to keep His words. Jesus says it uh, so every intelligent being in the cosmos can understand it clearly. There is no equivocation here. There is no wiggle room. This is the line of demarcation for believer and unbeliever. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. I know I say that a lot from this pulpit, but I don't think I can say it enough. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. So that's the line of demarcation. And Jesus says, My eleven guys, Father, they do what I say. Albeit imperfectly, they do what I say. They've received the Word. And they seek to keep the Word. And Jesus is, is praying for His men. And He loves them. And they love Him. And that's the way it's supposed to be with with, with real Christianity. There's supposed to be a real relationship going on. We're supposed to love God because He's loved us first. And it's real and it's dynamic and it's meaningful and it's powerful and it's compelling in your life. If it's really going on, if it's really going on, Jesus says, they have received My words and they have kept My words. He says, I love these guys. I love these guys. And I don't ask... You're going to see here in verse 9, he says, I don't ask in behalf. He says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. We talked a little bit about this last time. 
But I, I want to echo first what we talked about last week in, in Romans 8. Jesus is interceding for um, the believer and so is the Holy Spirit. You remember we talked about the promises of Romans 8 last week? They're not for unbelievers. They're for believers. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for the believer and so is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, does verse 9 mean that Jesus does not pray for unbelievers? Is that what verse 9 means? Well, let me say, biblically speaking, there is only one account in the Scriptures where Jesus actually prays for an unbeliever. And you probably can think of what that is. Luke 24, uh, 23, 34, He's at the cross. You remember what Jesus prayed? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the only time we hear Jesus praying for unbelievers. The rest of the time we hear Jesus interceding for His own. And this is what He says here in John 17. He says, I do not pray for the world at large. He says, I'm praying for those that you have given to Me. And as we talked about last week, He's praying in a passionate way. <laughs> Jesus Christ does nothing in a dispassionate way. And He's praying passionately for His Men, well, does this imply that Jesus is unconcerned about the lost friends? He came for the lost. What did Jesus say? I have come to seek and save what? That which was lost. You and I were lost. He's not unconcerned about the lost. But Jesus' intercessory ministry, His intercessory ministry is for the believer. But I want to leave a this beautiful image of Jesus in your mind that, I, that you get from Matthew 23, 37. I love the pathos here. This is the concern Jesus has for the lost. As he, as he looked over Jerusalem, He said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to, sent to you. How often I have wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And what does He say? You were un." Willing. Friends, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the responsibility of man. It comes down to the man saying, I will not have this God or any other God over me. I will be an amateur sovereign. I will be completely independent in this life. I will walk the way I choose to walk. And this is what the, the vast majority of mankind is doing. Jesus says, I do not ask for the world. I ask for for these men that you have given me. Now I want to give you an example, a scriptural example here. And I think Peter and Judas are a perfect example of what, of, of what we see Jesus talking about here. Do you remember that, well, let me jump down to verse 12. You, did you hear what Dave said? Let me just kind of go through that real quick. Jesus said, while I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one perished, but what? Who perished? The son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, we see, this, we see this phrase spoken of Judas a couple of times in the scriptures, in the gospel. Jesus said, says it himself that he's a devil, that Judas is a son of perdition. Jesus knows that Judas does not belong to him. Jesus knows this. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is God. He knows who does not belong to him. And you remember when Judas was going to betray Jesus Christ, you remember what he said? Remember what Jesus told Judas? He said, go do it. Just, just go quickly. Go quickly and do what you must do. 
But do you remember when he was talking to Peter about the fact that Peter was going to deny him three times? Do you remember when, when uh, uh, he told Peter, he said, he said uh, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Do you remember that? Jim knows the text. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Satan will sift Peter, but Satan can't have him. Satan can't have him. Why? Because he belongs to Jesus Christ. Because he's one of those that the Father has given to the Son. And Jesus says, I won't lose any of them. I will not lose any of them. I will not lose any of them. That text, by the way, if you want to look it up, is in Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus uh, allows Peter to go through this trial. But Jesus, but Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Friends, here's your security. If you're a Christian tonight, here's your security. It's not that you're really good at religious stuff. It's not that, that uh, you're at the top of the food chain, spiritually, so to speak, or that you have some attribute that sets you apart. Your security is the fact that Jesus is interceding for you and the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and the Father is holding you. Do you understand this? Do you understand that your salvation and your security is in the Godhead? We've said it two or three times the last several weeks. Our security is in the Godhead. Our salvation began in the Godhead it was affected in the Godhead, and it ends in the Godhead. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And friends, this is what I want you to understand. This is intra-Trinitarian communication. This is weighty theology. Jesus says, I won't lose any of them. Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. It's not if you return, it's when you return. Because I have prayed for you. Brothers and sisters, if this doesn't thrill your soul, <laughs> uh, you're not understanding it. If you're not understanding it, that our security is not in insurance policies and, and retirement plans. and It's not in the fact that our spouse says she loves us, and it's not in the fact that, that we have a great job and a promising career. Our security is in the Godhead. Our security is in the Godhead. I love what Hebrews 7.25 says. Do you remember what it says? Jesus always lives to make intercession for His people. Jesus always lives to make intercession for His people. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of the world. I pray for those whom Thou hast given to Me. Look at verse 10. And all things that, thou, all things that are Mine are Thine, and Thine are Mine, and I have been glorified in them. What is Jesus saying here? He's simply reiterating what He has said in John 10.30. I am the Father. I and the Father are one. That's all he's saying. The redeemed belong to God the Father and the redeemed belong to God the Son. All that is the Father's is the Son. All that is the Son's is the Father. They are one. 
That's all that Jesus is saying here. And Jesus says, I have been glorified in these men. Now, how, ha how has he been glorified in these men thus far? How has he been glorified? They believed his word. They've received it. And they believed it. And you hear what he says? They kept it. And that's what I've been telling you over and over and over again. We come in here and we sing that we will glorify the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing to come in here and sing. But, but your job description as a Christian is to glorify Him out there. To keep His Word out there. That men will see you keeping His Word out there. And remember what we were talking about, that definition of to glorify the Lord? That He would be made famous. That He would be made famous in our lives. And that we would render Him excellent in the eyes of the unbelieving world. Are you... I'm going to say this again to you. I know I've said it to you a couple of times in the last six months. Are you rendering Jesus Christ excellent in the eyes of men? Is He being magnified in your life? Is He being celebrated in your life? This is how we glorify God. Look at verse 11. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep them in Thy name. There it is. It's, it's precious. It's, 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 it's awesome. The Son says, keep them in thy name. No one can have me. Satan cannot have me. I belong to the Father. The Father keeps me in His name. The name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Now Jesus speaks of the cross here like it's already occurred. You see that many times in the words of Jesus. He says, I am no more in the world. Well, the cross is a done deal, right? What does is, what is, uh, Acts 2.22 tell us? That the cross will happen by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And again, we're listening to intra-Trinitarian communication. The Son is simply reiterating to the Father what they both know. The cross will happen. The cross cannot happen not happen. The cross will happen. Jesus is saying it like it has already occurred. Because it is as good as done, He will go to the cross. He is omnipotent God. He has purposed to save His people and no one can stop Him. If you're a Christian tonight, He went there for you and nothing could stop Him. Nothing could stop Him. He was going to redeem you. Nothing could stop Him. Nothing. Nothing could stop this awesome God going to the cross. Now I know that uh, in most places in the church today that there's this kind of low view of God. It's kind of a sub-Christian view. Kind of a sub-biblical view of who God is. He's kind of a pathetic God. He's kind of frustrated by what men are doing on the, on the planet. But friends, that's not the God we worship at the International Church of Milan. In fact, I will submit to you that that's not the biblical God at all. The biblical God, and I think the women studied it this week, the biblical God is a sovereign God. And no man can frustrate His designs. No man. No man can frustrate the designs of God. He says, I am God. There's no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. Okay? I declare the end from the beginning. No one can stay my hand in heaven or earth. 
I am almighty, sovereign God. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I will work all things after the counsel of my will. My purpose will be established. Jesus prays as if the cross has already happened because it is sure to happen because he's going there for you and me. And nothing can stop him. Friends, are you getting some sense of the depth of God's commitment to you as a Christian and his, his unfathomable love? For you, Jesus says, I am no more in the world, but my guys are in the world. And then he says, Father, keep them in thy name. Friends, you got to love that. There's your security. There's your security. It doesn't matter how well it goes for you on the planet. You have been purchased with a price. You belong to, uh, you belong to Jehovah God, and you will spend eternity with him if you're a Christian tonight. That's pretty awesome stuff. That's pretty awesome stuff. And I just want us to notice just very briefly, and I'm through. I want us to notice here. I want us to just talk just a few minutes about what Jesus doesn't pray for. Jesus doesn't pray for their ease. He doesn't pray for their health. He doesn't pray for their success. He doesn't pray for their comfort. He doesn't pray for their wealth. He doesn't pray for their safety. Ten of these eleven guys will be martyred for the faith. Jesus knows this. Jesus is not going to pray about any of these lesser things. He's praying about the preeminent thing. He's saying, Father, keep them in Thy name. I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change that at all. I wouldn't change that prayer one bit. That's what I want Jesus Christ to be praying for me. Keep me in the Father's name. Keep me in the Father's name. I think that that's uh, that, that, that what Jesus hasn't prayed for it wouldn't appear in many of your health, wealth, and prosperity books that are on the market today. Jesus is not praying for temporal things. He's praying for the most important thing. He says, keep them in thy name. And we talked about this last week as we covered Romans 8. Paul understood what Jesus is praying here because Paul wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we talked about this. No one, no body, no thing, no eventuality, no circumstance, no trial, no peril, no, uh, not things present, not things future, not anything created can separate us from the love of Christ. God, if that is not worship provoking for you, I have to assume that you're not listening to me or you are not understanding the depth of God's commitment to you as His child. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, redeemed in the Son at the bloody cross and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how committed God is to your redemption. So Jesus is praying audibly. He wants his men to know. He wants his men to know how committed the Godhead is to them and their redemption. He wants them to know that he is their rock. He is their fortress. He is their refuge. He, he is their stronghold. He is their deliverer. 
Yes, when the cross comes, it's going to appear that disaster has struck, but He is doing an awesome thing for them. He is saving them on that cross. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He says, It is an unspeakable comfort of all believers that Christ Himself has committed us to the care of the Father. Is that not an unspeakable comfort to you? That the, the Son has committed us to the Father. Then He goes on to say, those, uh, those cannot but be safe whom the Almighty God keeps. Did you hear that? I'll read it to you again. I jumped off the page at me when I was reading the commentary. Those cannot but be safe whom the Almighty keeps. And brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian tonight, God is keeping you. You will not fall. Ultimately and permanently. I'm not saying that we don't stumble and fall in a temporal sense. But we are being held by God. This is our eternal security. God is keeping us. These men, these men in the world is going to be turned upside down in just a few hours. But Jesus wants this ringing in their ears. I have prayed for you. I have asked the Father to keep you in His name. Jesus wants them to, to hear and know and understand and live. And this is what I want to leave you with tonight. That He is your rock. That He is your fortress. That He is your refuge. That He is your deliverer. That He is your stronghold. That Almighty God holds you. He is your security. He is your security. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, I, I'm aghast at what men have done to your gospel. I am aghast at how we've boiled it down to such simple platitudes. We boiled it down to little formulas that all you have to do is, is the little formula. All you have to do is pray the little prayer all you have to do is sign the little card and you'll be a Christian. But Father, Your Word tells us that it's huge. That it's infinitely bigger than that. That in eternity past, You set Your heart on Your children. And that Your Son has come in time to redeem us. And You have sent Your Spirit to seal us and indwell us. Oh God, forgive us for thinking small. Forgive us for thinking small about our redemption. Forgive us, Father. Oh God, help us be a people who think deeply about Your Word. Father, who think deeply about what You're saying. Father, who think deeply about how You have loved us. As long as You have been God, You have loved. And nothing could stop you. Nothing could stop you from going to the cross. Nothing could stop you. You were coming for your people. And Father, you have redeemed us forever. Hallelujah. 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 You are God and Savior. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing our closing. Uh,
course together.